grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Screen says, let your light shine. Matthew 5, verse 16 says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. We'll talk about that today. As we do so, I just want to look a little bit more at the rest of the passage. It says, we are salt and light in Matthew 5. Salt. I was talking with someone else from a different culture today, and and salt has this idea of purifying, of preserving, of flavoring. So we do all those things in the earth, right? We are the salt that flavors those around us. We are those who preserve. We are those who purify as God works in us to remind others of the truth. We're also the light. God works through us so that we might shine brightly, that others might see how they might walk in the light of Christ as well. But then it goes and it says something kind of hard for us. It says that Jesus has come not to abolish the law. Well, shoot. I was kind of hoping I didn't have to fulfill all those laws. Because you think about it, you know, it's not just the Ten Commandments, but how many done in the Old Testament? 613. You thought ten were hard. Okay? 613. Okay? You've got all these laws. How can I possibly keep all these laws? There's no way. But then Jesus says something interesting. He says, I haven't come to wipe them out because they are God's laws. God's law is good. For years and for decades, I thought, gospel good, law bad. Wrong. Gospel good, law good. Both are good in different ways. And so the goodness of the law, God didn't say, oh, that was a bad thing. I should get rid of it now that Jesus has come. No, he says, I'm going to fulfill it for you. Remember this new covenant that God promised in Jeremiah 31? What the people could not do, they could never do, they could never stay with God. God says, I'll do it for you. That's why we come Sunday by Sunday to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us, what we could never do for ourselves. Because When we think of the Pharisees and the scribes, we always think of those like nasty people. They weren't nasty people. They were incredibly righteous people. Far more righteous than I would ever be. Okay? It's just their righteousness was about themselves. And that's why John 5, 39 and 40 are two of my favorite Bible verses. It says, you diligently study the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. If you are just a really moral person and you do everything right, can I just say, stinks for you. (laughs) Because you'll be relying upon yourself then. And unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, which it never will, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. So when you tell me that your, your loved ones, your family members, all those people are really good people, I believe you. But how good are they? Are they God's standard of good, perfect? Because if not, they need Jesus, just like we do. Now, letting your light shine, I was reading something, because it says, let your light shine. Okay, so... So we know Jesus is the light of the world, and he always gets his work done. He's, he said on the cross, that one word we translate with three words, it is finished. finished. It's done. He did it. Okay? He got his work done. 
And now what is he doing? He continues to intercede for us. Phenomenal. What a great God we have. But I want to think about light. Let your light shine. In order to do that, I want to remind you of something that this man, uh, Jerry Sitzer, S-I-T-T-S-E-R, he wrote this little book, A Grace Disguised. And as he wrote this book, he, uh, it was within a few years of when he and his wife and his kids went, and his mother, went to this um, Native American powwow, just this little thing they were doing out in Montana. And as they were driving home, so, someone was driving, as a, another Native American was driving, and they were drunk, and they went across the side of the, the road, and they struck this man's car, instantly killing his mother, his wife, and his daughter leaving three other children left that he now had to raise. And as he's going through this, he had one time where only he, not the kids, nobody else went to see all three of them with an open casket before they had their service. And this is what he writes. I had a kind of waking dream shortly after that, caused, I am sure, by that initial experience of darkness. I dreamed of a setting sun. I was frantically running west, trying desperately to catch it and remain in its fiery warmth and light. But I was losing the race. The sun was beating me to the horizon and was soon gone. I suddenly found myself in the twilight. Exhausted, I stopped running and glanced with foreboding over my shoulder to the east. I saw a vast darkness closing in on me. I was terrified by that darkness. I wanted to keep running after the sun, though I knew that it was futile, for it had already proven itself faster than I was. So I lost all hope, collapsed to the ground, and fell into despair. I thought at that moment that I would live in darkness forever. I felt absolute terror in my soul. I would suspect that as I share with with you and talk with you that there are some of you that have felt that. As though you were running west to catch up with the sun just to remain in the light and yet because of what has happened, darkness, the overwhelming sense, just overcomes you. What What does it mean to do good works so that your light will shine and people will glorify your Father in heaven? Well, if you look at James chapter 2, says this, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Is it possible that God is actually calling us here in Matthew as well as in the book of James that when we see a brother or sister, which would mean someone in Christ, brother or sister is that language, neighbor is anybody, But if we see someone in Christ who's in need, that we would meet that need? Now, it's always a matter of wisdom because there's a really helpful book out there called When Helping Hurts. Sometimes what we need to do is recognize if someone for years is always in the status of, I need rescue, maybe they need less rescue and more development, more aid to do something else. Instead of just continually giving them a fish, we might need to teach them how to fish. 
But how many times do we say to one another, be well, hope things go really well for you, have a good time. You need something? Uh, go ahead and see Bob. Does that ever happen to us? Do we ever kind of keep the light switch off in the middle of someone else's darkness? Happens, right? Or 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says it this way. But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Give a reason. You see, it really strikes me as odd and difficult when you look at this passage. It says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Doesn't that strike you as odd? Because if I'm doing something good, I'm like, hey, Ron, here's some help. And then what do I look for? I look for them to say, thank you. You're wonderful. Boy, aren't you a great person. Thank you so much for being here. Right? That's what we're looking for. May we do good works that everybody's going to just heap on the praise for us. But you see, this passage says the opposite of that. It doesn't say so that people will see your good deeds and praise you because you deserve it. It's not what it says. So I wonder, if you look at that 1 Peter 3.15, always be a reason... Always be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within you. Well, how do you show hope? Remember how we did this before? Okay, Romans chapter 5. We rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So the only way that we really kind of show the difference that we have is when we have hope in the midst of... Morning. In the midst of darkness, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardships, in the midst of life not going my way. I actually want people to see how I do when life doesn't go my way so that they can see the difference, the reason for the hope I have. And that's letting my light shine so that God may receive the glory because I'm not just hopeful because I know everything's going to be my way next week. It's because I know that my hope is grounded on a sure and certain action that Jesus lived, he died, he rose again, he ascended to the Father, and my future is sure. Right? Okay, Pastor, you're done now, right? That's too much. That's too hard. I don't want to do that anymore. Okay? Just be quiet. Sorry, I still got time left. <laughs> so what we want to do is we want to also look at... Um, with, when you think of living different, like what would get somebody's attention? Well, first, when I live with hope in the midst of suffering, that will get somebody's attention. And again, this is a huge growth area for me. And that's why I'm really blessed. I, I actually have somebody I'm helping to kind of get free from a horrible situation. And they have people within their own family making life really difficult for them, physically. And then just binding them, keeping them keeping them against their will. But as this young person was driving one day, a car, a woman that was on, just gave birth or whatever, not too long ago, was going home from that. Some medication she was on didn't allow her to kind of think well. And at a real high rate of speed, hit this person's car, flipped it around a few times and burned it up. And they survived. They talk to me about faith. They share with me, and my life is enhanced because of it. 
What about forgiveness? If you and I forgive one another, does that kind of demonstrate and, and let our light shine when you and I forgive each other? When you and I forgive those who sin against us, does that let our light shine? How many of you are like, forgiveness is the easiest thing I did this week? Just show those hands. A little higher. I don't see them. Yeah, it's not easy, right? Because what forgiveness really means is, is that I'm choosing to not make you pay for what you should pay for. And I'm not going to keep thinking about it. I'm not going to extract it from you later. I'm not going to keep using it against you. I'm not going to share it with you all the time. And it's not going to destroy my life. I'm just going to let it go as if it never happened. So when you and I actually live in the forgiveness God has for us, and that's exactly what he's done for you. You know what you you all did this morning, and I don't know if you actually were paying attention or not, but what you all did this morning is you confessed your sins, which means that you come to church knowing that you're a sinner. And again, if you think of the truth that we teach in this church, and that is that we're sinner saints, which means that you're always a sinner and you're always a saint, that means that there's not a part of your day that you go through that's not corrupted by your sinful nature. And there's not a point where you're not covered in the blood of Jesus. Do you live in that truth? Do you delight in that truth? Therefore, guess what you need desperately every single day? Your biggest need is for Jesus to forgive you, right? And so if that huge need is taken care of for you every single day, then who are you and I to not forgive somebody else who's a fellow sinner? Easier said than done. So when it is easier said than done, can I just ask that you would look away from yourself? How many of you have the strength to forgive somebody who really did something bad to you? How many of you have the strength to do to forgive somebody who really did something bad to you? Jesus does. If I look, now Nick and I have no problems, right? We're okay? Okay. So if Nick and I, so if Nick did something really horrible, okay, like he got drunk and ran over my wife, that'd be a big deal. Okay? If he said sorry, that wouldn't be enough. Okay? That wouldn't be enough, right? So I'd have to actually depend on Jesus to give me what I need to forgive him. And I have to rely on Jesus every single day to give me what I need because I don't want to live in the prison that I'm holding myself in as I don't choose not to forgive him, right? And is that easy? No, there's another part of it that's easy. But when I'm able to forgive him, you know what that means? My light is shining into a dark world that chooses not to forgive anybody around them. How many of you know people that are so bitter because they will not forgive someone else? That is the darkness that we get to live differently within. Now it takes time, it takes a lot of reliance on Jesus, and it takes a lot of remembering that I'm the greater sinner before God. So as I live in his mercy, I can extend it to others. That's how we actually shine our light. But one last one. And this one came from a book called Victory Over the Darkness. I found this really interesting. It goes like this. A long-term effect of sin is that humankind's attributes before the fall became glaring needs after the fall. So our attributes, our characteristics before the fall became huge needs after. This sad transition occurs in three areas. 
Each of these three is continuous in our lives. I'm just going to give you one. Acceptance was replaced by rejection. Therefore, we have a need to belong. Even before the fall, Adam had a need to belong. His need to belong to God was filled in the intimacy of his fellowship with God in the garden. Of all the things that were good in the garden, the only thing that was not good was that Adam was alone. God filled that need by creating Eve. Ever since Adam and Eve's sin alienated them from God and introduced strife into human relationships, we have experienced a deep need to belong. Even when people come to Christ and feel their need to belong to God, they still need to belong to the community of God's people. If your church doesn't provide opportunities for legitimate Christian fellowship for its members, they will seek it someplace else. Those who study church growth trends have discovered that a church can give people Christ, but if it doesn't also give them friends, after a few months the church will lose them. The spiritual union of Christian fellowship, called koinonia in the New Testament, is not just a nice thing that the church ought to provide. It is a necessary thing that the church must provide. I have a couple of examples, actually, of that this last week. Last Sunday, I think it was, or the Sunday before, Pam comes, and Pam is Lorraine's friend, and she brings her all the time. Lorraine does a great job with that. And Pam looks at me, and she says, now, I didn't know this till later. Okay? She says, you're in the doghouse with Lorraine. Because <laughs> okay? she missed a couple of times coming to church, and you never reached out and called her. Now, Lorraine never told her that. Okay? And she had a cold and she was fine. Okay? She's probably a little embarrassed, but I asked her permission, so she was cool with that. Okay? But I wonder how many people really aren't cool with that. And when we don't reach out to them, when we notice that they're not here, if they sit next to you and you notice that they're not here, but we don't reach out, I wonder if people feel a sense of, I don't really belong there. Because even though we belong to Christ and we have that relationship solid, I wonder how many times I blow it, and it's been a lot, actually, where I haven't reached out, or we haven't reached out well, and people feel maybe a little bit like that opening story I read to you in the darkness. And I want to actually quote, and this person is also here this morning, and said I could use this. I called Kay this last Wednesday. And Kay is now having the pain come back full force. And this is something she said. She said, I could use it. She says, we're prayed for and loved and encouraged while here at the church. But when, but when uh, we leave, what happens when we leave the building? But what happens when we leave the building? And what she was feeling was, I believe, if I, you correct me where I'm wrong, is that darkness that, that I read about earlier. Feeling lonely feeling by herself, feeling all those different things. And of course, in, in a community where we're all just doing things like I want us to be doing things, where when you're in need, you'll reach out and, and all that kind of stuff, you know as well as I do that when we're in need and the darkness is surrounding us, we don't always do a very good job of reaching out, right? Because what's normal for us when we're lonely and when we're really struggling is for us to pull in like a turtle and just hope that someone will love me enough and let me know that I belong and I'm accepted, and I'm meaningful, and that's not how Kay felt. And I was one of those people that never called for a whole month. I wonder, Scripture says, 
the world will say, look how they love one another. This is not my opportunity to beat you up because I think in many ways you do a great job. But can we grow? Are there times when I pull out my phone for hours when I could actually be making a couple phone calls? Are there times when we get so engaged in our own life that we don't actually have room to just share with the people that we know and love and who sit around us? Is there room for us to let our light shine more and more so that people might see what God is doing as he moves us off of our plate to matter to someone else? Is there room for that? How will that happen? I always ask you to write down two words. If I haven't asked you here, I've asked in different Bible classes. And those two words are, try harder. And then I ask you to write a circle around them and put a line through it. Okay? Because it's not about you trying harder. But you know what it is? It's about going back. I have set the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. When I set Jesus here, I'm reminded again of who I am. And what's important isn't that I entertain myself a little bit more. What's important isn't all these other things. It's that Jesus shines in me to bring light to the darkness someone else is walking through. One last thing. Could you put the picture up? Now, what you're looking at right there is a bridge. You're like, well, that doesn't really work, does it? And you see, that bridge was functioning very well. And then, I don't know what year it was, but Hurricane Mitch came along and dumped 75 inches of water which is over six feet of water in a very short time span, a matter of a day or two or three. 75 inches, and I think it's in Honduras, I think, some, somewhere down south. Okay, I don't remember the name. And that river that was flowing underneath that bridge moved. And it moved so the bridge no longer covers it. When I think about letting my light shine, what I want you to think is that over the years, times have changed, haven't they? How many of you remember life before cell phones? Okay. How many of you remember life before microwaves? Okay. Do you think the church, okay, which still focuses on Jesus, which still does, does the church live in the exact same culture we did 30, 40, 50 years ago? Do you think maybe the way we let our light shine, okay, still is out of love for other people, might appear different? And if so, how will I show, shine my light differently so the world might see and give glory to my Father? Amen? Amen.